Minds of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just the starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. I'm always looking for feedback on the show. If you have any questions, comments, or even guess whom you would like to see me interview in a subsequent show, just drop me a line on Twitter. My Twitter handle is James underscore HSU. That's James underscore HSU. I am more than happy to talk to you about anything, any constructive feedback or any questions you may have about the show. Hey, welcome to part two of my talk with Jonathan Alexander. In the first part, we already started talking about various things related to our favorite format in Magic, which is Legacy. In this part two, we're going deeper into mechanics of Storm and what it means to win and lose and what Jonathan sees in good and bad Magic players. There's a lot of stuff in here. Oh, there's also a weird but funny segue about our mutual friend Kai Sawatari and Jonathan and Kai's, for lack of a better term, bromance. So yeah, let's keep going with Jonathan, and uh, hope you like it. Let's go. You don't want zero problems, big fella. Yup. If one more label try to stop me, it's gonna be some dreadhead niggas in your lobby. consider yourself the creator of Grinding Station? Well, I'm the person who coined the name, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, like, uh, you know what I mean, right? In terms of popular popularizing the, 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 the key cards and the engine, things like that. Well, there, there is not much popularizing the key cards, because the key cards are just the storm pillars, basically, like tendrils and parson flames. Um, but but let me put it this also, way: you were you were rocking the three tendrils or the multiple tendrils before a lot of people, right? Yeah, I was rocking multiple tendrils as soon as passing flames. Like people were thinking of passing flames as a tutor target. I was thinking of passing flames as my way to beat all the blue decks. Like actually, like people talk about going up to two passing flames. Mm-hmm. I was going down to two copies. Right. Like th- th- this is really not joking. I was going down to two copies from four and three. I started out with four copies because the card was so good. Um, I think everyone knew how good it was as an engine, but people weren't immediately sure about how good it was as a strategy. Yeah, like People saw it as a tutor target, I saw it as the card you want to draw because it beats counter magic so hard. So and it's, it, it's the difference between like a, a nice to have addition versus a card to build around, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, the big difference between the, the Caleb Shera Stormless with two Dark Petition, Nauseam, Passing Frames, Tendrils, and the now way more common than back then Grinding Station approach, or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, the, the two Passing Frames, three Storm Spell approach. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the Shara list is very much going for these turn two kills, and it's very good at getting them. While the grinding station list is way more concerned with beating counter magic. Right. And to be fair, when you started grinding station, it was the perfect time for grinding station, right? Because you didn't have yeah, to exactly. win on turn two. Yeah, the the deck had just had all good matchups at the time. Like you were playing um, decks like Punishing Fire and Maverick and like Canadian Threshold. Like you didn't need to yeah, win like, on turn two. The the top decks at the time were actual Stoneblade, like blue white blue white Stoneblade, no splash colors, yeah. nothing, which is a turn bazillion deck or so. <laughs> yeah. It's just all air. It does nothing um, for like ten turns. <laughs> then you had Canadian Threshold. Yeah. Then there was Blue Red Delver. Right. And basically Maverick. That was all there was in the format. And for Canadian Threshold, you wanted to take your time, right? Because you don't need to play exactly. their, their spell pierces or dazes, right? You can Exactly. Yeah. The the Canadian Threshold deck was uh, the matchup was so lopsided because people didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Like nobody understood the matchup because nobody knew my deck list. And now it's not only has the grinding station list gotten worse for the matchup, but also people are aware of it, so they know how to play against in-hand tendrils. But at the time, nobody knew how to beat in-hand tendrils. Yeah. And nobody really knew how to beat Storm, because Storm was never very popular. Like There was at Norsium tendrils, which is something different, like the Mystical Tutor deck. Mm-hmm. Because you were always going for at Norsium. There was also always going to be a point where a counter spell would win you the game. If you had more counter magic than your opponent had discard spells, you were winning. This was not the case with Grinding Station. With Grinding Station, you had to counter different spells. Sometimes you would never even get to counter anything because all their uh, spells are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. And people were definitely not prepared to beat that. So you had these very slow or reasonably slow blue decks at one end, then you had Blue Red Delver, which does nothing against Storm. You have like four Force of Will. That's it. Mm-hmm. You are not going to win with that. Um, then there was Maverick. And Maverick did have the potential to lock you out with a Galactique. So what I did at the time was actually main deck Sudden Shock. Because Ooh, nice. <laughs> Galactique was the only card goodbye, in the entire Galactique. format you yeah. could lose to. Screw your mother runes. <laughs> yeah, goodbye. Yeah, there, there was... It was so much luxury back then. You could just run Sudden Shock in your main deck, in your Storm deck. I had like two copies or so at times. Right, you could actually play 58 cards like, uh, and still beat like, the other decks. <laughs> I, I didn't even run Infernal Tutor main deck back then because you didn't need it. Yeah. You, you never needed to tutor chain or anything or tutor for passing flames. You could just wait and you drew tendrils and then kill people. Yeah. Um, and then the sideboard was like absurd luxury. There was nothing you needed cards for. Yeah. So you just put in some Infernal Tutors, some um, Atnosium. I had multiple copies of Chromox all the time because there was space. I, even back then, I had space for Hercules Recall, even though there was basically no Chalice of the Void in the metagame. I think the entire time I played the deck back then, I played against one Dragon Stompy deck and that was it. But I still had room for Hercules Recall because you never needed any cards. Well, like, there were so many free wins with the deck. Oh my gosh, it just sounds like one of these um, powerful monstrosities that people didn't know how to play against. And on maybe maybe on par with like Mystical Tutor Ad Nauseam or something. I'm 
quite convinced this is the most broken deck, at least in relation to the metagame I played it in, that I have ever seen. Like The deck at the time completely broke the format. Nobody could beat it. Mm-hmm. Or nobody tried to beat it. And with the tools they were using for other matchups, they couldn't. Right. So they were playing their game of like paper rock scissors, and then you had the one that goes over the top. But I yeah. guess, but I guess it was also not like um, it, it needed pilots such as yourself to do well with it, right? So maybe maybe yourself or Kai or others, but it wasn't like everyone could play this deck now because you need obviously some skill there. I don't know, like. I was definitely the only per- really the only person to ever do well with the deck at the time. But I think that is in large part because I was the only person who played it in more than one tournament. I actually remember posting one of my first tournament reports or so with the deck. Um, <clears throat> and I posted it on the source. I think there was like a 200-player tournament or so that I actually... That was one of my worst finishes. I finished somewhere in like top 32 or so only. Um because I drew against Nick Fit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because I had this absurd combo turn. I lost one game because sometimes you lose games with combo decks. Um, and then in game three, I had this absurd combo de- uh, combo turn where I went off with Adnausium, Pass in Flames, and Ill-Gotten Gains. I never managed to find Infernal Tutor or Tendrils of Agony. So the turn lasted about like 15 to 20 minutes because I cast 50 or so spells. And oh, wow. yeah, it was the longest combo turn I have ever seen. And I'm not a very slow player. Like, it wasn't my fault or anything. It was just the way the deck was stacked. Mm-hmm. Or, like, stacked the, the way the deck worked out, the way yeah. it was shuffled. That there was no business that could kill my opponent. And also because I had to use ill-gotten gains in between, my opponent also got to use their cards again, which right. was, like, extirpate or something, which made it even worse because my opponent suddenly had choices again. That just took so long, and right. then I think we ended up drawing. Um, then I lost one match to Canadian Threshold because I was constantly experimenting with the mana base at the point, and I got into a situation where if I don't have, um, if I have another red dual land in my deck, I snap win, but I don't, so I lose. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I had to go off in multiple turns and. Um, I had to go off with Past and Flames again, but I only had one uh, Volcanic Island, no Badlands, no other Volcanic Island. Yeah. So, and no Lotus Petal, no Lancer Diamond. Those were in the deck, but Volcanic Badlands weren't. So I could only cast one copy of Past and Flames, and that got countered, so I lost. And then I lost to Elves, which was also completely ridiculous at the time, because the deck didn't have, like, Deathrite Shaman or so. Mm-hmm. It was just, again, one of those times where I just completely failed to find any business. It's just variance, right? And, yeah, it happens. And I posted that tournament report, and people were saying, well, obviously you're trolling. There's no way this deck can win any games ever. Yeah, that I'm pretty a sure. extreme. <laughs> I think multiple, multiple people actually said that. And people were looking at the deck, and they were like, this is a joke, right? This can never win. When in fact it was like this unbeatable machine that could never lose. <laughs> right, right. So people thought that it was a fake tournament report because of... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't know. And people didn't try very hard to play the deck. Yeah. Oh. Because really, it was just me playing it, and whenever someone else picked it up, they were like, well, this deck can't win. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that was your fault. <laughs> if I may, like going back to a little bit of what you said about natural sure. tendrils in hand, um, I actually had this revelation for the first time just one year ago. Like, you know, I haven't been playing Storm very long. Like, I played Brian Cook's um, Epic Storm deck, but it was a very different thing. It's an ad nauseum base. Yeah, deck. there's the decks have nothing in common basically yeah i mean it's the only thing in common are like some cards in common but it's it's very different that's it, burning yeah. wish but anyway i started playing more towards this style of uh what i guess what you call ad nauseum tendrils even though it's not even that heavy on ad nauseum last year and i remember playing against my friend in a in a test match and i gave him my canadian thresh deck and i was playing storm and there was this one game where i just had this amazing revelation that you had so <laughs> so many years ago which is like I drew the tendrils, the one of tendrils in my into my hand, and I realized I could actually win if I just stockpot, if I just sandbag all my spells. And I actually yeah. beat him that game, and he was so surprised because it's not something that we, well, not something that at least I expected. But I realized then, holy crap! Like I can, like imagine if I did this consistently, and I like yeah. it's like what you say, don't even need infernal tutor. So it's like I discovered what you discovered, but like five years too late or something like that. <laughs> yeah it's the first time you do it you're like it's amazing wow this worked out this is insane yeah you you, you kind of stumble into it and then you're like wow i want to do this all the time yeah there's just nothing your opponents can do this has changed because flusterstorm now has become a card right but uh, this is also one of the things the deck was so good back then flusterstorm was legal in the format i think yeah it was but nobody played it yeah. There were zero copies of Flusterstorm anywhere. Right. So, yeah, free free, free games. Yeah, they were not playing Flusterstorm. There was no top. I mean, Miracles wasn't really even a deck, really. So, um, yeah. Yeah, Miracles I, weren't printed yet. I stopped playing when Miracles <laughs> were printed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the one thing that really strikes me as we're talking about whether it's Mental Misstep or uh, Pass and Flames is that you seem to have this ability to to reason out cards or engines that are that are good and see that before anybody else can you is there any way that you can explain how you're able to do that i'm actually very very bad at card evaluation okay um like if i have not played a card i think the card is bad like or maybe not like that but or you I'm assume the card is not going to be great until you try I'm, I'm, I'm no also i think some cards are good that just aren't okay. uh, for example Deathrite shaman i completely wasn't aware of but i'm very quick to pick up things i think that's just my main strength mental misstep was easy because that was basically the card i wanted yeah like mental misstep is so obvious in legacy like if if you miss mental misstep, then you're not looking. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember looking at the spoiler for that, and I was like, this has got to be a fake spoiler, right? Yeah, I mean, this is too, it, too busted. It counters everything that is relevant in Legacy. Yeah. Like, when you think of Legacy, you think of all these one minor cards. Right. In whatever deck, like if it's Sensei's Divining Top, Brainstorm, Dark Ritual, Devil of Secrets, Swords to Plowshares, Mother of Runes, Noble Hierarch, Green Sun Zenith. 
Like all these cards that cost one mana. They are all very, very important for their respective decks. But, so mentioning misstep is just very hard to miss. But, but Jonathan, let me, let me give you a rebuttal. Like, um, sure, it's a very good card. We all recognize that, right? But you knew that it could go into natural order, and, and you chose to put it in there instead of like in Canadian Thrasher or some other deck. That was only because it was the card I wanted. It was not because. I saw the Natural Order deck, and I saw Mental Misstep, and I thought, like, wow, this card is going to be great in this deck. It was because I saw the Natural Order deck, and I thought, about what does this deck need? Mm. And then they printed a card that fit exactly those criteria. So that was just very easy for me. Um, Parson Frames, for example, I was like, this looks all right. Maybe it's too expensive. Then I started playing with it and immediately realized how good it was. This is usually how it goes when I find cards. Like Winter Orb wasn't actually my idea. It was Kai's idea mm -hmm. uh, in Canadian Threshold. But I just immediately realized how much of a game plan you can make it be. Um, Kai was like, maybe want to try out Winter Orb. I tried it out and it was sold immediately. I was like, wow, I want to make this a strategy of my deck. Yeah. Um, I'm not good at finding cards. I'm good at realizing how good cards are. Like I missed Deathrite Shaman, Snapcaster Mage. I can't say because Snapcaster Mage is also kind of sort of obvious that it's a very good effect. Yeah. Like Snapcaster Mage is demonic tutor more or less on your graveyard. So, eh. <laughs> <laughs> if you have ever played with demonic tutor, you know that demonic tutor is good. Right. Um, yeah. Like there are a lot of these kind of cards, like Snapcaster Mage, where if you have any experience whatsoever, you realize the card is good. Like if they printed a Dark Ritual that adds four mana or whatever upgrade on Dark Ritual, you immediately know that the card is good. Sure. Um, yeah. It doesn't take skill to see that. And if you print a version of Yarkmoth's Will, that's slightly worse, but also has another upside. Has a buyback itself. Yeah, like. That is not easy to see. Yeah, you, you uh, gotta, not hard to see. Sorry. Yeah, you, not hard to see. You gotta you gotta pay attention to that, or at least try like, it out, right? In in the same set, for example, which was uh, Innistrad, Snapcaster Mage. Obviously, I saw this card is at least going to be decent because it's Demonic Tutor in your graveyard. But Delver of Secrets, I missed completely, mm. which is kind of ironic because of how much Delver I ended up playing. But Delver of Secrets, I was like, is this a card? Okay. Interesting. Card. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though because the two cards, or two of the cards that you felt like you missed, uh, Delver Secrets and Deathrite Shaman, are creatures. Do you think that has something to do with it? I don't think so. I, I think I just randomly found, quote unquote, found these two cards, Mental Misstep and Past the Flames, and those are the only ones that are really hit on. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm just very bad at card evaluation. Deathrite Shaman, I immediately knew the card was good as soon as I played against it. Yeah. And that's usually the case. Like I lose to something or I win with something once and I realize what it can do. Mm -hmm. I'm quick to pick these things up and also kind of quick to pick up patterns. But I'm not very good at looking at a card and saying how good it is. Um, but I can assume that most of the time you're making your own decisions or judgments, right? You're not trying to get that from anybody else online. No, no, I definitely do that myself. Like, yeah. it, magic is so complex and we all have such different styles. 
Um, and that is actually a bad thing, the style thing, but it can't be helped. So, eh. We all see the game differently. And this is something people don't realize when they watch other people play and they're like, oh, this person is so bad. They messed up this decision. They messed up that decision. People don't realize they would be playing a completely different game. Like, and the game you are playing and the game someone else is watching, even though they are the same cards, the same players, everything, they are two completely different games. Like, maybe you would not mess up something that they wouldn't mess up and the other way around. Yeah. But also, you don't have, as a spectator, the interaction with the opponent that the player has. And that is such a huge deal. You haven't played the two games before if it's game three. You don't know what their habits are. Maybe the person playing has, the player A has played player B in like local tournaments and therefore knows how they play. And the spectator doesn't know that. So the game is really just completely different. And therefore I think it's very important to, yes, do make your own judgment, but also watch other people play. If you're losing with something and someone else is, excuse me, someone else is winning with it, maybe you are doing something wrong. Like I had, I had this actually this year, or part of it was last year, where um, Hans Jakob, Kuman Godik, the guy I traveled to GPC Tag with, and also GP Indie before that, and talked to a lot on Facebook about Magic. Um, I basically always play with his cards at Magic Online. Um, so he was always winning with Team America, and I thought the deck was a pile, and it just was all bad matchups. And this was based on testing, because he thought the deck was always winning, and he also was always winning with the deck. So we tested a lot of matchups, and his takeaway was, okay, I'm winning this matchup because I went 6-4, and four, and I'm like, okay, I'm winning this matchup because I only lost games where you had turn one death right shaman. Mm. But so I thought Team America was bad against everything because it was only winning when it had, when it had death right shaman. Mm -hmm. But he thought, well, I'm always winning, so eh. And then came a point where I was like, okay, this has been too much winning for me to just ignore. I should just play the deck myself. And I think I was wrong in my assessment, at least in regards to some matchups, that it can only win if you have Death Right Shaman. Mm -hmm. But it is a very mediocre deck that sometimes just completely falls apart. Mm -hmm. And I'm super impressed with his results with the deck because I don't think it's a great deck. It's a deck that I enjoy playing and it has some very good matchups. But some matchups are just very bad, and some matchups are just completely dependent on having mana acceleration. Like the deck is very good when it gets to do two things a turn, but it's very mediocre when it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you've just, by your definition, you've just described it using the good stuff syndrome, right? Like, you've got to have this, and yeah. if you don't have this, then it's pretty, pretty mediocre. And Team America is even worse than this, because it has this good stuff element, but it also has this pseudo tempo element where you have Delve of Secrets, Death Ride Charm and Days and Wasteland. Yeah. Maybe Tarmogolf as well. Um and it, if you just like and also it has him to Turok, 
these things just don't play well together. Right. Sometimes you have the driver draw and then you draw like two hymns and they do nothing. Yeah. Because you don't care about the cards in your opponent's hand. You just want to clear the board. Mm-hmm. And when you have to play on the board and draw hymns, it's awful. Yeah. But when you play on the stack and draw hymns, you're like, oh, I'm so good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's mid range with a capital M, and sometimes that can be very yeah. very frustrating. Um, you you just reminded me of uh, uh, I'm not sure if we talked about this before, and and it's it's somewhat related. So so forgive me for this uh, pseudo tangent. Uh, my friend who I who I told you was uh, practicing with me when I was playing Storm, practicing for GP yeah. Seattle. He actually was the one who convinced me not to play Death and Taxes, despite him being exclusively a Death and Taxes player. His argument is basically that in a large tournament like a GP, and especially as you're trying to get to day two, you can't... You Well, let's take the brainstorm and no brainstorm thing out for a second, but you're going <laughs> to basically have hands, and best card in Legacy, and you're not running it, but um, you're going to have hands where you have amazing game against uh, half the decks, and terrible games against the other half of the decks and you have absolutely no way of knowing what you're going to draw and what he what deck he's playing so your deck essentially sometimes doesn't have a point of view on what you want to do or even if you do have a point of view it's too late you're dead right like you yeah. you have those uh you have the you have the god thalia uh wasteland port deck against storm great but you'll have also have that stoneforge and mother runes hand against storm and you're just dead so yeah, yeah. um you, that's my pseudo tangent. I just feel like when I play Team America, it's also the I also have a similar feeling. Like the deck is not very focused on yeah. doing one thing. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's true for many decks. This is actually the reason I didn't play Storm in Prague. Oh, interesting. Because, um, but Storm is trying to do w- one thing, right? No, that's not true. Because Storm is very much up dependent. Like with Storm, you are very much playing rock, paper, scissors with a DCI reporter or whatever tournament software they're using now. Yeah. Um, your matchups are, many of them are very lopsided, but in different directions. Like there are decks you can't lose to, and there are decks you can't beat, uh, decks you can't lose to, and decks you can't beat. Yeah, that was correct. Uh, <laughs> um, sometimes, there are matchups where you are lose if you're playing this way and you're winning if you're playing that way and it's impossible to tell which way you're supposed to be playing and I saw a hand um, on Friday with, before the GP that's how last minute my decision was uh, where one of the guys I was rooming with he was set on playing Storm and he drew an opening hand and he was like well what do you do with this and the, the hand was like it had a cantrip and discard spell and yeah. I was like okay this is the reason I'm not playing Storm tomorrow you got me convinced thank you because depending on what you're playing against if you cast the wrong of these two cards you are dead like straight up dead mm-hmm. and that you just can't afford not in a GP not if you're you talking about need GP, to rid- GP Prague right yeah yeah okay. that, that's if you need to win 13 out of, at least 13 out of 15 rounds you cannot play a deck like that or you can be Rodrigo and dodge your worst matchup all day yeah <laughs> and have it work out 
Shout out to Rodrigo for oh, by the way, I'm I'm not bashing him. It's I'm just pointing out that he got very lucky and he made the most of it. Yeah. Yeah, we had we had a talk too on this show, yeah. and uh, he was telling me about the the zero Aldrazi matchups, and he wasn't yeah. even trying to beat it because there's there's no point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if he talked about it on the podcast, but uh, he talked to his finals opponent, and Rodrigo, as you said, played zero Aldrazi against the entire GP, yeah. and his finals opponent faced Aldrazi five times. <laughs> Like even in our traveling group it was the same. Like mm-hmm. everyone had played zero Eldrazi or three Eldrazi. No one was like, yeah, I played Eldrazi once or twice. Yeah. It was just all these extremes. Yeah. I don't know. But uh while we're on the topic of Rodrigo, he also told me that this really surprised me. This is the first day two he made in a GP. Wow, that's interesting. I thought he was also day two in Lille. I according to him this was his first day too. I may have misunderstood but that that's what I that's what he said or represented. Um he also told me the analogy was like he just loves Storm so much like he plays it in modern and other formats. So it's like he said even if Burn is the best deck if I if I play the best deck and I lose I'm going to be really unhappy. So I he would rather play a deck that he just loves. Um so I I think for him he's a little bit maybe more extreme than you or I, because I, I mean, obviously, you switch between decks, right? So, but that's, I think I can only switch between decks because I'm passionate about multiple decks. Right, right. Um, for example, I tried grinding miracles on Magic Online, and I just can't. Like, it, it tears me apart. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I enjoy playing the deck every now and then. Yeah, and I think I'm decent with it. But once I start playing too much, I get terrible, mm-hmm. and I don't feel good about it. Right. So now we're talking about Prague. I mean, your preparation for that. This Prague was your best finish, right? As a Magic player, is that, um, is that right? Well, it it's definitely one of the. It's tied for best finish, I guess, with uh, GP Ghent in 2012, where I also finished 24th with Canadian Threshold. Um, I guess they're the most relevant. I also think the the ten o sweep in the bazaar tournament is. Oh, well, I least, mean that that's gotta be. Up there, yeah. Like <laughs> I'm not. The GP top thirty two is probably st- it's definitely. Um, more relevant. Yeah. But I don't think. It would be fair to dis- for me at least, to dismiss the bazaar performance because I was I was very proud of myself at that point and was, the first real achievement I guess I had like it was the first time I won something that was more than seven rounds of Swiss right right I guess that's kind of the breakthrough and that's also one of your favorite moments right yeah definitely like the the entire trip was just great um, I had just finished school at the time I was traveling with Carsten Fabian and another friend who sadly I don't see as much anymore, but like great traveling group. We had a great apartment, um, great tournament. I had just such a great time. Was definitely one of my favorite tournaments, yes. Right. Okay, so I guess my question can be changed to say of the GP finishes, uh, Ghent and Prague were both tied for best for you, right? You finished 24th in each one, and they were both with Canadian Threshold. Yeah. Okay. I know you've written a little bit about your your GP Prague. Like, 
did you did you feel like you did something different in this Grand Prix than maybe other tournaments uh, you've participated in that have helped you get to 24? Um, I did not play Storm. Um, I like Storm a lot. I think it's a very good deck. It was definitely the best deck at times. Mm -hmm. But Storm has some very mean variants, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. The two European uh, Legacy GP I played Storm in, out of 13 rounds I played, I played against blue decks, I think 11 rounds, maybe 12. Um, blue decks with Deathrite Shaman eight or nine times. Mm -hmm. Blue decks with Deathrite Shaman and Devil of Secrets like six or seven times. Mm -hmm. And those are the worst matchups for Storm. Like, right. um, and I just managed to actually. I think in it was in GP Paris where I went six and three on day one, which back then was day two. Um, I lost two game threes against Team America because I died to Ad Nauseam. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I lost another game three against Deathblade because I also died to Ad Nauseam. <laughs> right. Like, all three of my losses came down to game three Ad Nauseam. Uh, and I hate to say this, but uh, losing to Deathblade has got to be one of the worst feelings of any oh, Magic yeah. player because it's just the worst deck ever in Magic. Maybe maybe uh, slightly better than Blue White. It's basically evolved Blue White Stoneblade, but um, it's just such a good matchup for Storm. Yeah, like Shardless, Shardless as well. Like Shardless Sulfur is such a crazy good matchup for Storm. The deck is just all air, yeah, and it does basically nothing. Yeah. Um, but I have a tendency to lose to these decks when it counts. Yeah, and, like, and they they are the ninety percent matchups, but I do get the ten percent whenever it counts. Yeah, yeah, variants can be a uh, a bitch, I guess. With, yeah. with uh, Canadian, you're not playing the matchup lottery that hard. You have all these like 55 matchups, mm -hmm. where you just suddenly have 75 if you're better than your opponent. Right, right. Or if your opponent, like maybe you're not per se better than your opponent, but more familiar with the matchups you're playing. Yeah. And people are not very familiar with most most Canadian threshold matchups at this time. And with Storm, you have many matchups where it doesn't really matter how good you are or how good your opponent is. Mm -hmm. um, like Eldrazi, for example, it's, it barely makes a difference how good the players are. Eldrazi versus Storm, because if your opponent has turn one, Chalice, turn two, Thorn of Amethyst, you're just dead. Right. Period. There, there's really not much you can do. Like Obviously, there are things you can do. Like You can Storm through Chalice one, you can get rid of the Thorn, but two things and then they have thought not see and they kill you on turn four or five you are not winning that and it really doesn't make much of a difference how good your opponent knows the matchup right and this is not to discredit those people who play these kind of decks because like punishing uh, punishing loam whatever you want to call it aggro loam the four color loam deck this against storm is also very similar mm -hmm. and that deck is crazy hard to play in some other matchups Right. But the Storm matchup is just not very interesting mm -hmm. on either Like Either the, the uh, lone player gets to draw their hate piece and gets it to win the game because it never gets answered, or the Storm player just kills them. Yeah, There's really not much either player can do to influence how the games work out. I think what you're trying to say, or how I would interpret what you've been saying, is that 
if you're choosing a deck that is disproportionately being punished by the metagame, you really should not be playing that deck. If there's like, um, uh, okay, maybe this sounds so obvious to say, of course, but but uh, it, uh, but you, when you say when you say the four card loam example, it makes you think about like, yes, you know, like it's not a great deck to play, but there and you know, as a four color lone player, but then there are certain matchups where, you know, like it, it makes up for it. But I, I don't know what I'm uh, trying to say, but I, uh, that's not what I was saying. Um, okay. I definitely think if you expect to play many matchups or matches rather, where you are expected to be more familiar, more well versed with the matchup than your opponent, yeah. it is helpful to play a deck where variance is less of a factor. I think this is the reason why Miracles is doing so well, because Miracles is just by far the most consistent deck, mm-hmm. because it, it is basically all cantrips. The, the deck just relies on manipulating the library and always having the right draw. So the deck is very, very consistent, and if you have a deck this consistent, and you're playing against players you are on a pure skill level favored against, this just amplifies. And if you're playing whatever matchup that is not very skill intensive, if you're playing like Belcher against Burn, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't make much of a difference being a good player there. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's also all this pseudo talk about how decks, uh, how players want to maximize their chances of winning with more decisions. I don't think that's true. Um, I just I think it's a very matchup specific thing that you want to if you are better than your opponents you want to play the matchups where there are more decisions for you to make up for it and uh, this is not limited to blue decks people sometimes make it out to be something that is uh, exclusive to control decks that is definitely not the case and I think Storm's a great example for that. Storm has a lot of very intricate matchups, while Storm itself is definitely not a control deck. Right. And so Storm is one of those decks that can reward you for being the better player, being very worse in your matchups. But it can also be the deck that punishes you for just playing in the wrong meta game. Right. Got it. Got it. So taking this as a very specific application. If you're Reed Duke and you are probably better than 90% of all Magic players in the room, um, I know Reed's playing Miracles and in Legacy, and so that is a good reason to play um, Miracles for him, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, not only because of the deck, but also due to his play skill. Yeah, definitely. Okay. If I'm somebody who is has just played uh, one month of competitive legacy, um, maybe I want to play something like Belcher or a coin flip deck, where decisions are minimized. Is that fair? Um, yeah, but I think it depends on what your goal is. Like, there's always this short-term versus long-term thing in Magic. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to do that well at this tournament? Or do you want to get better so you can do well at the next tournament? Right. Um, and tournament practice is something that is definitely important and valuable. Yeah. Um, 
I guess it depends on how many tournaments you have to spare. Like, if you need to do well at this tournament, play the deck you're going to do better with. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this is likely going to be the deck that is quote unquote easier to play. Yeah. But if you want to get better in general, play the deck that is harder. Absolutely. Like, get the experience in, reflect on your matches, try to see patterns. Like that, that is the number one most uh, important thing in Magic, I think, like recognizing patterns and matchups. Right. And I mean, that's uh, just a lot of practice and a lot of reflection, right? Yeah. Magic is all practice. Right. Right. Like people say Magic is hard, Magic is easy. Um, people say, oh, everyone's so bad. And the hard part of, about Magic is not getting X, Y, or Z right. The hard part about magic is getting X, Y, and Z right. Mm, right, right. I think you're right too because uh, all the folks that I've talked to in this podcast, whenever I ask them this very generic, almost insulting question like how how do you get better at magic, the number one answer is always just play more magic. Like there's yeah, no, like there's no like study the game or like try to like look up uh, simulations. It's all just play more magic. It's not because practice makes you like make better decisions. It just makes you more consistent, I think. Like it's not like you suddenly because you play more, you get these ultra sick mind skill uh, mind game skills and go for those super hard reads when you're playing Storm or Belcher or whatever yeah. combo they go like blind therapies. You don't really get that from regular practice, like non tournament practice. But what you do get is just routine. Mm -hmm. It's more pattern recognition, and like I've been yeah. in this scenario before. Like I was exactly. even, I was even trying to uh, to coax an answer out of Brian Cook and Rodrigo. I was like, "You guys seemed like you can read minds." Like people have said that on Reddit about you. Uh, just a totally random question. Like, do you have mind reading abilities? And then they're all like, <laughs> "No, I do not have mind reading abilities. I just play a lot of Magic, and and I've been in those situations before." So. Yeah. Well, I do have mind reading skills. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the way to go. So I was going to ask you how to get better, but uh, I don't need to because um, I I just need to acquire mind reading skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to make those blind therapies hit. Oh man, that's the best feeling in the world when you hit that oh, blind yeah. therapy, like three for one or one for three. It's just the, the, the blind two for one therapy against something that you could never have guessed. It's just oh yeah, it's just like <laughs> I, I still I, I lost one game and in, in uh consequence the match in seattle against death in texas game three i had therapy and i could name thalia or ethos and canonist yeah. and i had a feeling my opponent was on canonist but i went with the uh probability yeah. the, the probability play and named thalia and they did in fact have canonist yeah and i cursed myself for not listening to my that, mind that felt bad because you, al you almost had it right it's like the multiple choice yeah. test where the first intuition is usually the right yeah. one <laughs> i felt very bad about that like people told me like we have a, a storm chat group with some like there's the big group that kai has yeah and there's a smaller group there's like only five people or so yeah and i posted all my scenarios from the gp in that group and people, everyone said they would also have named Thalia. And even despite that, I still feel bad about the decision. Yeah. I don't know. 
But that's that's kind of like after the fact, you, it feels bad, right? But as you were naming it, it probably didn't. I'm feel not. Bad. I'm actually not sure. I think I wanted to name Canonist, but went with Thalia because it was the quote-unquote correct play. Right. But I don't I, know. I just have to say though, there's people have a lot of respect for your abilities to to articulate play and understand storm on a level above other people because like i remember talking to julian Kanab and he was telling me about overhearing some discussion you guys had when you were in that castle or something about like storm and he was like the, you know he i can't remember what the specifics were i think it was something similar to your article where you're like what what should you do with this hand on the first turn and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there was some of the, like, you had some answer that surprised people, which is like, you should just pass the turn, like land go, you should, instead of uh, yep. a therapy. And, <laughs> and then Julian's like, he told me like, oh man, like, Alex, like Jonathan's just like, has this under, deep understanding of Storm, like, like he can think about the game in a way that nobody else can, or not a lot of people can. So I, that's, that's like, that was kind of like my impression of you before I even met you was like, this guy is like some 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 sick master of storm so so yeah uh, <laughs> um i'm not going to say i'm bad with storm i'm very confident in my ability with storm right um i'm quite confident in most of my abilities as long as i have them <laughs> <laughs> but i'll be the first to admit that i can't do something uh, -huh. uh but i think most of us more well-versed stone players are like that because all of us have spent so much time on the deck. Like, I'm not sure if you have ever seen Pascal Wagner play. I he's, have. He, he's on so camera, ridiculously fast. He's, he's ridiculous. Yeah, he's like, like the Philip Schoeniger of uh, of Storm. <laughs> like, it's so insane how fast he moves when he's playing Storm. Yeah. Because, like, for at least one year, maybe two. All he was doing when he had nothing to do was goldfishing Storm. Yeah. So he knows all the situations. Like he sees a hand and immediately knows what the line for the combo turn is. Yeah. Like the, he, I think he's better at combo turns than anyone else. Yeah. Like maybe they other people get the same results, but Pascal gets them so much faster because he immediately sees what he has to do. Right. Um, this is definitely his strength. He's not a complete perfect player, but this part of his game is insane. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, people like him and uh, Rodrigo and yourself. I mean, you guys are able to play fast, right? And that that helps because number one, the opponent can't always re react properly, and number two, like it it conserves you energy in longer tournaments. I don't know. I think I'm on the slow side of like quote unquote popular storm players. Okay, um, you are very uh, you're very humble yet confident. <laughs> um, may like maybe this is just because I've spent so much time with Pascal. Yeah. Pascal and I used to travel together. We used to attend local events together. Like there was a period when I stayed at his place for like two to three nights a week. Yeah. Um, so I have been around the extreme for so long that maybe I think everyone is slow. Yeah, that might just be the case. Like I'm not super slow, but I think I'm definitely not fast. Yeah, it's all relative, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, while we're on this topic, I we've been talking about Kai so much. Like, can you just for the sake of the listeners, kind of just 
tell us about tell me about your relationship with Kai Sawatari <laughs> and how you guys became friends <laughs> and and because he's this guy that like we mentioned his name like 15 times or something and it's just like the, the listener might have like no idea who is this kid like who you know um yeah okay. maybe just tell me a little bit about him or so that <laughs> my relationship to Kai um is let's say unusual <laughs> okay um for how two guys interact uh so I think it was a few months ago. I posted on Facebook, Kai Savatari is so scary. I don't think our relationship is even remotely healthy. Yeah. Uh, people, I think many people took that as if we were in a romantic relationship, which is not the case. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think neither of us is interested in men. I can only speak for myself. <laughs> okay. I, I, like Kai has a girlfriend. I love it. So, yeah. I mean- um, Sure, and, I mean, most people have girlfriends. For, for whatever reason, we were talking, this was in Prague a few yeah. weeks ago, about how Kai and I interact. And Hans Jakob Kulmangodik, the guy I traveled to America with to the US yeah. last year, and just talk a lot of magic to, he just came and said to Kai and me, well, your relationship is just super weird. There are things I just don't want to get into. <laughs> Just, just he just said that out of the blue. Like, yes, okay. <laughs> he just said it, like, and we're like, yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, but my relationship to Kai, um, I met Kai when I was in Berlin. Um, I went there when I was in, in university. Um, I think the first thing Kai said to me was he asked where I was from, and I was like, um, from a small town near Düsseldorf. He's like, oh, Düsseldorf, cool, that's like Japan because there's a lot of Japanese people in Düsseldorf. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but there is. Um, like tourists was, or are they actually living there? They're actually living there. Like there, there's um, this complete Japanese quarter in Düsseldorf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. Might be something business related. I honestly don't know. Um, so that was my first interaction with him and... Actually, while I was in Berlin, I don't think Kai and I were that close. Like, we did hang out a bit, but not super much. And it was when I moved to back to Metman and Kai started playing Storm that we were getting closer. And Kai was like super happy about learning about Storm. Mm-hmm. He was like really motivated. Um, and basically, whenever Kai and I are together at the GP. We are inseparable. Uh, maybe that does sound a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, yeah. at all. But just, Kai and I have just... We just get along really sure, well. Sure, you, you guys just bonded, right? Over some... some yeah, things. we have similar interests. We listen to similar music. Yeah. Uh, we are both the same age. Which I think is actually huge because most of the people I spend time with when playing Magic are not my age. Right. Um, Kai and I have this thing about our sisters, how we want to introduce each other. Uh, you mean you want to introduce your sister to, to him? To and Kai. And I'm trying to force him to introduce his sister to me, but I don't think that's working out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, 
Kyle's a great guy. He he's just always fun to be around. Right. <clears throat> you can definitely attest to that because you've been around Kai. Kai is just he's always happy. He's always nice to everyone. He's always super enthusiastic about everything he does. Yeah. Um Yeah, he's very just, open too. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. Kai is just the most randomly flirty person I have ever met. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like two, two complete strangers it's so great like if Kai is talking to a waitress you think he knows her like yeah because he's like so direct yeah it's great um he's a great guy yeah what can I say that's that's all that needs to be said <laughs> he's fun to be around and he gets my my weird ways right like I know it can be very off-putting for some people but Kai enjoys it, so yeah. that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've only met Kai that one time in in Seattle. I think that was enough. I mean, I don't mean as enough <laughs> as, and I don't ever want to see him again. But like, I do want to see him again. But uh, oh, well, yeah. now this is sounding weird too. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Like, uh, I just having a few conversations with him made me realize that. He's very open. He's very honest. He talked to me about like some of his what's what it's like living in Tokyo, and you know, actually some of the challenges he has as as being kind of like uh, partly Japanese, right? And and and, mm -hmm. and so it, I, it was really cool, like just being able to talk to him. And and of course, he was actually the guy that, even though I did not know him really nearly at all, he was the one who convinced me to actually play storm in gp seattle and i so I'm, cool. I'm always going to be grateful to him for doing that and, and sort of encouraging me i think in the same way that uh julian Kanab was very encouraging when i was doing the writing stuff kai was very encouraging when i was doing the storm stuff so i think i, I always have like a, a how do i put it like some kind of inner debt of gratitude towards him even though i've not said this until now so yeah that, that's like the kai thing how enthusiastic he is about things yeah where He's so enthusiastic about things. He gets other people to do things. Exactly. Like not not in a bad way, but in a good way. Like, yeah. Kai, Kai sees something makes you happy, and he's kind of forcing you to do it. Yeah. Like and he's like he's not saying that aloud ever. Mm -hmm. I don't think at least. But interacting with him, it somehow feels sometimes that man, you enjoy this so much. If you don't do this, you're stupid. Right. And. That's just true. That's yeah. how life works. Yeah. In the end, you have to make your own decisions, but it's always cool when somebody uh, lets you see something that you didn't see before, which is the sense I got from actually both you and from him. Um, now I kind of wish I started drinking when I was 13, but I guess I, there's no <laughs> I time machine, but I, I, I'm not going to start now, but you know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. I think in hindsight, that, that was a very bad decision that worked out for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, life is like you, you should not have any regrets and it's only about what you chose and how you learn from it. So that's my... I mean, very, there's, yeah. there's no use having regrets, right? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, it's... There, you should always learn from your mistakes, but... Right. Like, why dwell on the past? It, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do anyone any good. You had enjoyed your one of your greatest uh, GP successes up to that point with GP Prague and what I'm wanting to understand is you've been telling me lately that you have now gotten back to playing Storm a little bit like can you tell me exactly why 
that is? Did something change in the metagame? Did something um, change with yourself that made you want to do that? That's just a that's a very simple reason. Um, I play in Storm on Magic Online in events that are not relevant, like quote unquote not relevant, like only leagues, mm-hmm. because. With Storm, the games are so much faster, so I can play twice as much. I think Storm is worse in the metagame than Canadian Threshold is, but with Storm, I can play twice as much. Okay. That's just it. So if you're going to play in a GP tomorrow, you would probably play Canadian, Canadian Thresh. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually playing uh, in the Legacy Festival Championship tomorrow, and I'm playing Canadian Threshold there if I get the cards. Right. Like, uh, I would not be very happy about playing Storm in that metagame because Storm is like Miracles and uh, Grixis Stover are not great matchups. And those are the two most popular decks by far on Magic Online. So playing Storm in that metagame wouldn't be great. Whereas Canadian Threshold has great matchups against both those decks. Oh, I see. So the, the, the tournament tomorrow is actually online. Yeah. Okay. Can you talk to me talk a little bit about playing online? When did you, when exactly how far far back ago did you start doing that? Uh, I think I first started playing Magic Online in late twenty thirteen, early twenty fourteen. Um, I was why did I play? I think I just wanted to play Magic. Like, I think I started out playing just a lot of limited because I actually like Booster Draft a lot, but I don't like taking a train to a shop playing one draft and this taking like five to six hours or so whereas the magic online i can finish a draft in two hours mm-hmm. it just felt good to me um and then i started playing standard because i enjoyed standard at the time uh then i stopped playing magic online because i started going to university again like yeah. i started play- taking it seriously and uh i didn't play magic online a lot like for a long period only for like half a year at most, until April 2014. And then I started going to university and basically stopped playing Magic altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, I played GP Vienna in March, I think, 2013, uh, 2014, April or March. Um, And then the next GP I played in was GP Lille, July 2015. And I basically did not play any relevant tournaments between that period because I was going to university. Uh, and then I recently just got back into Magic Online. Um, I started playing some standard before I went to the US because I was playing uh, GP there. Mm-hmm. And I liked the Dark Jeskai deck. And also, actually it started before that format. I started playing standard with the um, Thopter deck. I don't know if you're aware, the Ensel Artifact Shrapnel Blast Thopter deck. Uh, that was a cool deck. I actually enjoyed playing that a lot. That was also the kind of deck that you can just finish a league course, like five matches in two hours easily. Uh, it was very cheap and very good for how cheap it was. Right. Um, then I bought myself some other cards and played more standard. Played There was the expensive standard format with Fetchlands Legal and stuff. And then I started testing for GPs... Um, Indiana, which was standard, and GP Seattle. Uh, and after that, I didn't play for a while because after I came back from the US, I was doing very terribly in Magic Online with Dark Jeskai. And then I just picked up Magic Online again when I was, um, I think, after 
also forget what was the set with all the Eldrazi, right? When that came out, I played Blue Ride Eldrazi Modern. Mm. Um, I won a bit, and then I started getting into Legacy, and now I'm playing Legacy. Okay, so you don't play the other formats now, because you said at the beginning that you just play yeah. Legacy. It, it's because there's just not the decks there that, or strategies that interest you? Uh, I want to be the best Legacy player, and I think every other format is just wasting time in that regard. Got it, got it. So it's a matter of focus. Yeah, like I want, I want to win every tournament I win in Legacy. Actually, whenever I play Magic, I want to win. Yeah, I think that's the case for most. But in Legacy, it means more to me because I feel I have so much potential in this format that I haven't yet used, and I just want to focus. It's it's also the format I enjoy playing the most. There are other formats that I do enjoy playing a lot at other times, uh, but. I'm not attending any paper tournaments for formats other than Legacy. Right. So you, you, you just said that you enjoy Legacy the most. Do you also feel that you have the biggest edge when it comes to Legacy versus other formats? Um, likely, because I've been playing Legacy for so long. and I'm good at playing decks that people are not good at playing against, which are Storm and Canadian Threshold. Right. So you can push those uh, advantages... Yeah, like both decks are decks where if your opponent is not familiar with the way the decks work, they are very likely going to lose. Okay. Got it. Like both decks have all these instances of cards that are unusual to see, but if you play around them, they get much worse, but you have to know they are there to be able to play around them. Right. Like Canadian has all that stifled stuff. Um, all the soft counters you might not see coming. And Storm has, as we talked about earlier, uh, the in-hand tendril skill, which people cannot see coming. There's also empty warrants, which people cannot see coming. Um, there's also lots of absurd lines with Pass and Flames Infernal Tutor LED, where you discard the Pass and Flames and get like a discard spell or a Cabal, uh, cabal Ritual. Um, if you have a discard spell and use it against Storm, you might not, if you don't know how Storm works, there is a likelihood you are going to end up taking the wrong card. Mm-hmm. And if you take the wrong card with your discard spell against Storm, you definitely will get punished. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that is my edge. It's less in actual play skill and more in, in playing the correct decks to leverage formats, familiarity. enjoyed this episode of humans of magic i would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better you can find me on twitter at james underscore sue that's james underscore hsu please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line thanks for listening and have an awesome day